Let's pray, and then we'll get into Romans chapter 12. Father, we ask that you would continue to be with us, God, be with uh, us as we open your word, that you'll challenge us, that you'll continue to be gracious, continue to be compassionate, but you'll also remind us of who we are because of whose we are. Help us, God, to serve as you serve. Help us to love as you love. Help us to see as you see. Help us to hear, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, we started a new series called Grow last week, and um, I mentioned to you that the primary goal of the series is about discipleship. We looked at what's typically called the ethical section, if you will, of Paul's letter to the Romans beginning in chapter 12. In other words, because we believe that Paul lays out chapters 1 through 11 the way he does, specifically 9 through 11, and he talks about our salvation found in Jesus Christ, that should change the way we live. Amen? We should be different. Paul would say, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, things of that sort. Or he gives the example in Romans chapter 6, as we're uh, buried with Christ in baptism, we talked about, and risen to walk in a newness of life. He also goes on to say to those uh, with an earshot, follow me as I follow Christ. And as we saw last week, he uses the example of this being transformed, this metamorphosis, metamorpho, being changed from the inside out. You'll remember the words in verses 1 and 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, be different. It all starts by renewing your mind, Paul would say. Paul is after discipleship here. Let me remind you of a psalmist um, words. In, in Psalm 37, verse 27, from the NRSV, it reads this way, Depart from evil and do good, so you shall abide forever. Again, from the New Revised Standard Version in Psalm 37, he says, depart from evil. In other words, there's something that you need to do. There's something that happens from the inside out, something that we as believers, as followers of God do. And the psalmist would say it this way, depart from evil and do good, so you shall abide forever. That's how to live your life, right? So we pick up our reading in Romans chapter 12, just after he's told us, to be no longer conformed, but be transformed. Now notice what it says beginning in verse 3. Paul goes on to say, For the, by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we're members one of another. Let me read that again. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy, prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. It kind of sounds like that list that he gives to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, doesn't it? 
Then he says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor, don't lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, and be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't claim to be wiser than you are. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if your enemies are hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you understand why this particular portion, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, is considered the ethical portion or section, if you will, of Paul's letter to the Romans? In other words, if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to live our lives differently, right? And the example is, of course, the life of Jesus Christ. How did Jesus Christ live? One of the things I think is really, really interesting in, uh, is we're the body of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this from the Roman perspective. We talked about this several months ago. Um, so not last week, but several months ago as we were going through the first part of the book of Romans. Who is Paul writing to? Paul is writing to a church that is dysfunctional. It's made up of Jews. It's made up of Gentiles. And they're probably not book, a brick-and-mortar church. In other words, they don't have what we have. They don't have these structures with a steeple outside. You follow what I'm saying, right? These are house churches. And so this letter to the Romans would go from the Hardaway's house to maybe the butcher's house to maybe the Christophel's house, and it was passed from house to house to house, house churches, and reminds people of how they're supposed to live. Now that's important. Because we're so far removed from that culture, right? We're so far removed from that historical perspective. We don't quite understand uh, everything that we should understand unless we understand the original audience that Paul is writing to. So if you're in a house church and you're made up of Jews and Gentiles, or in our modern day, some of you will appreciate the, uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys. Right? The people that don't get along. Anybody been around the church for very long? Right? And remember, Paul is talking to who? He's not talking to unbelievers. Right? He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to believers. Right? He's talking to members of the church. He's talking to followers of Jesus Christ. And he reminds them that there's a certain level, there's a certain responsibility, there's a certain accountability that we have of once we put this t-shirt on, once we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, I was thinking this past week, uh, when I was growing up in the church, we had, uh, this was 70s, 80s, a softball team. Anybody remember the, the heyday of the church softball team? Right? 
So in the town that I grew up in, we had a softball team, and it was a way that which I think the church was trying to, we had to have a certain amount of people that attended church on the softball team. Does that make sense? And the rest of them were heathens, pagans, right? They'd get drunk, do the things that they do. Um, but it was our hope, it was our, it was our plan to convert them as they were on the softball team. Does that make sense? Right? Now, if, if, that's, if, if, you're, if that doesn't make any sense to you, um, then, then, yeah, that's just the way it was, right? Um, and we always loaded our teams with good softball players, whether they were church members or not, right? And so eventually the city got wind of this and decided that, hey, to qualify to be on a church softball team, you had to at least know where the church is, right? Or attend the church ever once in a while, right? Um, so we had a church league, and then they had an industrial league. And the industrial league was um, made up of just uh, people that were really, really, really good, right? So we were kind of B-level, if that makes any sense to anybody. These guys were A-level, right? They were, they were a step ahead. They went a lot, they went a lot farther uh, in tournaments. They, they, they were very, very competitive. Um, but we were also competitive. And there got to be a point where you couldn't tell, even with language, between the industrial league and the church league. In fact, I remember when I was about Christian's age, when I was 15 or 16 years old, a brawl breaking out between two churches in town over a slow-pitch softball game. Really? I mean, I was competitive, right? I, I was a typical teenager. I wanted to win. And yet, what did we learn from? And how are we different than the rest of the world around us, right? It's been said that we witness um, God's goodness everywhere we go, by everything that we say, by how we live our lives. And yet, I wonder sometimes if we're not affecting the world around us, but the world is affecting us. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Now, I'm not saying we should be totally separate from the world. That's not what I'm saying at all, because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says you are in the world, but... You, you know this text, right? You are in the world, but you are not of the world, but we're supposed to be different than, than the world. And so as these people are receiving this letter from Paul, this what we call a general letter that goes from house church to house church to house church that's made of diversity, and you can look around this place, and to a certain extent we have a little bit of diversity, right? We have young, we have old, we have different skin tones, we're different, right? We're at least a little bit diverse, right? When Rome, they had Jews and Gentiles, and as we've talked about, recently, in the past, you had this persecution that went on from put emperors like Claudius and, and, and Nero, and the Jews were expelled from Rome for a certain time, and so when they get back to Rome, they find their church, their church has been overtaken by these Gentiles, right, who are God-fearers, who believe in Jesus Christ, but it's not the, it's not the church the Jews left. Does that make sense to anybody? You think they're a little frustrated? Right? And so Paul has to remind them that, hey, this is not about you. 
And I think sometimes we in the church in the 21st century, one of our elders prayed this morning, um, and I don't, I don't want, want to quote him specifically, but the idea is we're no different than those people back then. We still have the same struggles. We still have the same um, perfections. We still have, we see ourselves even in the pages of Scripture. You follow what I'm saying? And yet we still, we still are loved by the same God, the same God that was the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. I think sometimes we have to be like this Roman church, this is dysfunctional as it is. We have to be reminded that we are one body. That as different as we are, be the person, be the individual that God has made you to be. I mentioned as we were reading from Romans chapter 12. This sounds a whole lot like the 1 Corinthians 12 text. You'll, if you know the 1 Corinthians 12 text, you, you realize as Paul gives this list of giftedness, right? Let me ask you, are you using your gift for God's glory? Are you using your gift, whatever God has gifted you with, right? We as New Testament Christians, we as Restoration people, know the Acts 2 text, right? Where you will receive the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit? You are gifted by God. The question is, is not that we're gifted, it is that we're gifted, but do we use that gift for God's glory? Are we using it for the right purposes, to honor and glorify God, or is it to be acknowledged ourselves? Do you hear the difference? Right? So when you put two different people in the same room, when you put two different people with different motivations, when you put two different people who eventually will become selfish, or that selfishness will come to the surface, you have to be reminded that you're one, one body. And not one gift is important than the other, more important than the other. And what, what one person can do, the other person can't do. But that's okay, because this person is gifted in other Areas. And you may be thinking right now, well, I don't know what my gift is. Well, that's something we need to figure out, right? I don't believe that God has placed us here just by coincidence. I believe that when He calls us together around this table and reminds us that we're family, that He gives us every gift that we need to reach the world around us. You hear what I'm saying, right? So when we say love God, love people, Love by going, that means we've given, He's given us every resource that we need to do that. Maybe it's on a small scale, maybe it's on a large scale, but somehow, some way, He has gifted you. Are you using that gift? A few weeks ago, uh, Elizabeth listed for us in the bulletin all the things that we need. And there were several of you that responded with, hey, I can, I can help put communion together. I, I can help serve in this capacity. I, I can help serve in this way. I can help do this. And some of you have been serving in the same role for year after year after year or decade after decade after decade. And let me tell you, I, I appreciate it. I said last week or whatever it was at the volunteer meeting that Brendan had, it's not ministers that hold a church together. The backbone of a church is the volunteers. The backbone of the church is people that are using their gift for God's glory. Right? And yet there's still, especially as a small church, we still need people to step up to the plate and use the gift that God has given you, not for your glory, not so that you'll be seen,
but so that the people around you can recognize, hey, he's using, she's using the gift that God has given them for God's glory. Maybe it's upstairs, behind the scenes. Maybe it's on a soundboard. We need people on the soundboard. Maybe it's on the computer. We need people on the computer. Maybe it's serving communion. We need, we need people serving communion. Maybe it's giving a meditation. Maybe it's giving up in here and, and teaching and preaching and whatever. Let's talk about those things, right? But it's important that Paul would tell it the same thing going on in the ancient Near East is the same thing going on today is we have a lot of people that are coming and receiving, but not a lot of people that are coming and, and serving. And so... You could read about it here in Romans chapter 12. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says, hey, before you think of yourselves more highly than you ought, remember your gift is no more important than anyone, anyone else's. And by the way, it's no less important either. And so this scenario of the community house churches, um, they're not brick and mortar. They're not steeple. And that's where, we, that's where we're much different than this particular world. I found it interesting, I don't know if you saw this in verse 9 where he says, let love be genuine. Why would Paul need to say that? Let love be genuine. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Let love be, I mean, is there any kind of thing as ungenuine love? I can't think of any kind of ungenuine love. So why would Paul need to say, let love be genuine? Genuine. In other words, love really. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just say you... I was at a grocery store recently and I asked the, uh, the cashier behind uh, the counter about how she was doing. And she, no, I'm doing okay. How are you? And I could tell she wasn't doing okay. I said, are you really doing okay? And she didn't give me a diatribe of her life or go through any kind of details or anything like that. But I could tell that she was not doing okay. And I thought, how many people does she encounter? Ask her, how are you doing? And she just gives the rote response, so I'm, I'm okay, how are you? Kind of thing. I, I think one of the things we can do as letting love be genuine is when you ask that question, how are you doing? They really want to know how they're doing. Right? That, that comes by, by compassion. That comes by, by mercy. That comes by loving them as Christ has loved us. That's Paul's whole point, right? The way we know how to love is what? Because we've received love, right? Let love be genuine. What's the best picture? Bring, a, bring, a, bring something to your mind about the best picture of genuine love. It's this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you think of any more genuine love than that? Right? I can't. Why would he have to say, let love be genuine? I think sometimes we say we love one another, but love is more than just on a Sunday. Love is more than just at a building. Love is rejoicing, as we've read several times this morning, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, sitting with those, i.e. Job and his friends, sitting with those who are struggling with something. Love is going to hospital rooms where you don't know what to say. It's okay, you don't have to say anything, but go to hospital rooms. Love is genuine because of who Christ is. You understand what I'm saying? I think it's interesting that Paul is writing to the church and he has to say, let love be 
genuine. Don't just go through the motions. It's not just a facade. It's not just we put a... And we did that with our church softball team over and over and over again. And maybe it wasn't a church softball team for you, but you know what I'm talking about. People coming to church, putting on a mask. Hi, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? That's not genuine. Or I love you if... Is, can love ever be conditioned? I don't think so, right? And yet in our world, this is what I'm talking about, about instead of affecting the world around us, we are infected by the world. We have defined love the way the world defines love. I will love you if. If you do what I want. If you say what I say. If you look the right part. If, 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 it's all conditional. And God is saying, I love you anyway. It's unconditional love, right? That's what genuine love really is. Unconditional, unconditional love. It's, I think, a bit sad that Paul has to tell the church in Rome, and, and, and if, if the shoe fits, I wear it. But I think the challenge for us in verse 3, in verse 3 through 8 and verse 9 is to love. Remember who you are. To love, really. Don't fake it. Don't just go through the motions. He goes on in verse 13, if you'll notice, where he says, Contribute to the needs of the saints. Who are the saints? If you've met Jesus, you're a saint. If I've met Jesus, I'm a saint. So he says, Contribute to the needs of the saints. What does that mean? Take care of each other. Right? Well, how do you take care of each other if you don't know what each other needs? You know, I think one of the things that we are really struggling with in our society is this idea of independence. And I, don't get me wrong, I like my independence. But there's something about Christianity that calls us to be dependent. And because of pride, uh, because of arrogance, because of, of who we are, that independent personality, and I'm looking at the guys because most of us don't like to receive help, right? Most of us don't like to accept help. And sometimes it's okay to say, I need help. Sometimes it's okay to say, hey, I don't know what to do here. Can you, can you help me here, right? Um, and then notice what it says. Contribute to the needs of the saints. If you have a need, let the elders know you have a need. And guess what? These guys that, that, that I've served with for the last couple of years, I can promise you they're compassionate guys, they're merciful guys, and they will attempt to do everything they can to help you with your need, but, you know, like the little old lady, and this is an old preacher joke, it goes back year after year after year, but we always get a call, and I'm talking about preachers, not just the Hillcrest, preachers at large, right? We always get a call from a little old lady or a little old man, and they're offended because nobody came to see them in the hospital. Well, guess what? Nobody knew they were in the hospital. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Or, or nobody knows your rent's due and you don't have money to pay your rent. Or nobody knows you're getting skinny because you can't put food on the table. Or nobody knows that you're struggling or your kids are struggling or you get the idea, right? He says in verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. And I'm telling you saints, I'm telling you believers, followers of Jesus Christ, make your needs known. Don't, don't put pride in front of letting us bless you, right? I have people all the time tell me, don't bring a meal to my house. Don't, don't bring a meal. Guess what? You're, you're 
you're not allowing that person to receive a blessing if they serve you. Right? So we ought to be about contributing to the needs of the saints, of one another. He goes on to say, extend hospitality to strangers. You think that'll preach today? How many miles are we away from the border? Extend hospitality to strangers. And I don't want to make this about a political thing because I, I have mixed emotions about this, but do we extend hospitality to strangers? Do we extend hospitality? What did it mean to a house church in Rome to extend hospitality to strangers? We'll talk about enemies here in a second. But what would it mean to a Jew who thinks the church ought to be one way and to a Gentile who thinks the church ought to be another way when he says extend hospitality to strangers. Let love be genuine. Don't just go through the motions. But really, really love. Right? Extend hospitality. What's mine is yours. Right? I, I can think of the, the idea of hospitality in Acts chapter 4 where it says they were all in one mind as they came and they led their possessions at the apostles' feet. And he said, anything that you need, you take. Right? That's hospitality. And that's something we're missing in our society and in a lot of ways, I suppose, in our church. So he says, take care of each other. In verse 14, he says, there's where the enemy comes in. Bless those who bless you. Or bless those, I should say, who persecute you. So bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Who would that mean for a Roman, a Roman citizen, a Jew, a Gentile, a God-fearer? It would mean the Roman soldier right outside the door, right? The one who's held them down for so long. The one who persecuted them for so long. I mean, think about that for a second. Chew on that. The, the enemy of enemies, right? This Roman soldier, the one that they would rather spit at than love, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's a whole other level of genuine love. Love your enemies. In other texts, in the Pauline corpus, he would say, desire peace. Or peace, grace, the word charis in the Greek. Desire peace, desire this grace, desire this love more than just to be right. Desire this idea of getting along. Desire this idea of hospitality. Desire this idea of love. And there's so many people that, that get offended and they forget about that we're called to hospitality. We're called about serving. We're called about blessing one another. We're called about... I hope you understand this ethical way of living that Paul is describing, right? Desire peace, desire grace, desire that more than anything else to be right. What does it mean to love genuinely? I was thinking about Roman, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you will know this text. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, love is patient. I'm not the most patient person in the world. But he says love is patient. Some of us need to be more patient. Love is kind. You can't love without being kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not, it's not irritable, or irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Now think about the grace in that. Love bears all things. Genuine love, right? I love you anyway. Unconditional love. Genuine love. Love bears all things. Even when you're going to mess up, I'm going to love you. Even when I'm going to mess up, I'm asking you to love me. Right? Love bears all things. 
It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends, Paul says. Love never ends. But as with all these other things, they will come to an end. Pretty important for Paul when you think about, when you think about love. But what does Jesus say? In John chapter 17, some of you know the Matthew 6 text as being the Lord's Prayer, but this is more the Lord's Prayer as He's praying to His Father um, than the Matthew 6 text. He's praying, and in verse 20 He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, but also on behalf of those who believe in Me through their Word. That's you and I. That they may all be one. Listen to this, repetitive language. Jesus prays that we would be one. As you, and fa- as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given them, so that they may be one. You hear that? As we are one, in I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one. Repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. Pretty important for Jesus, right? So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you've given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You hear this prayer of unity. I think Jesus, I know Jesus knew there would be this spiritual tension between affecting the world or being affected by the world the spiritual warfare that takes place, this this enemy called Satan who comes in and steals, kills, and destroys, who attempts to cause division. You hear the importance that Paul is talking about between Jew and Gentile in Romans chapter 12? It's no different today. So let me ask you, are you... Are you living the way that Paul describes? Are you you doing as Paul describes? Are you loving with all of your heart? When we talk about love God, it's easy to say we love God. How do I know that you love God? Well, if you don't have enough evidence for it, how, how how can you love God? Well, I think the best evidence you could have is the way I love my fellow man, the way I love my neighbor, the way I love people that are different than me. Great. Tell us how you love people that are different than you, right? And do you love by going? Do you care enough? Are you compassionate enough? Are you merciful enough to love by going? We've talked in here uh, recently about the, the lady who was part of a church who was just wringing her hands saying, they don't come anymore. Guess what? They don't come anymore. We're in a post-Christian world. They don't come anymore. We have to go. That's what the command says in Matthew 28, Right? Go into all the world. Don't expect them to show up. Go into all the world. Love. 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 The way God loves. The way Christ loves. Genuine love is found this way. right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So let me ask you, follower of Jesus. Let me ask you, believer. Let me ask you, disciple. Let me ask you, one who's received salvation and have claimed to be making Jesus the Lord of your life, are you loving as Jesus loves? If not, then I pray that you would consider to love people as you love God, as you're loved by God. If you don't know Jesus, I pray today is the day of salvation. If you don't know this kind of love, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray.
Father, for your word, um, for Paul's admonition here to love uh, genuinely, uh, to have a love that is unmatched. Um, I, think about, I think about Paul's life before he was Paul. Um, as he's standing there and he's responsible for the death of Stephen, and then all of a sudden he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life is completely changed. And for those of us who know Jesus, somehow, some way, we've been on a road to Damascus and our life completely changed. I guess for me that makes uh, Paul's words to the church in Rome um, pretty significant. He would know what it means to love genuinely. As a Roman, as a Jew, people that are different than him, people that are much like him, um, even enemies. I pray, God, that as we consider our walk with Jesus, I pray as we consider our discipleship, that we're not just going through the motions, that we just don't receive, but we also give. That we're not just blessed, but that we're blessed to bless. That we're not just loved, but that we're loved to love. That we're not just served, but that we're served to serve. Help us always to pattern our life after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.